0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Justin Kendrick. I do pastor over in Spartanburg at Grace Spartanburg. I'm glad to be here today and and even more glad that that Tim is preaching for me today. Um, Joe was was asking how long we've been around. We actually started planning the church in 2010, and we became a particular church in 2017. That just means that's when we elected our own elders. And we're actually, we've just purchased uh, a building uh, that we're raising funds to restore. It looks a whole lot like this, so it's kind of cool to be here and see where maybe we'll be uh, eventually once we're able to fix it up. Um, but we are going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. So I think that's printed for you in your bulletin. Um, to kind of set this up, I, I should warn you that that earlier this year, my wife made me a country music playlist uh, on Apple Music, and I have. Uh, since decided that every country song ties into Ecclesiastes so just you just need to know that on the front end today uh, and I'm actually going to start out with the lyrics to a country song I, I should have printed this in a bulletin but I didn't but it's called Need a Boat uh, by Morgan Wallen any any fans you can <laughs> this is, this is going to be a tough crowd Wait, can Tim come back now? Um, <laughs> so, I, I was thinking about just singing this, but, but maybe I'll ask you to come sing it since you're a fan. Um, but, but you don't... Anyway, so let me, let me read the lyrics. This whiskey sure tastes fine right now, but it ain't doing the trick, no. Yeah, it ain't getting me gone enough to make my mind forget That one shot, two shot, three shot more. Don't change the fact she ain't in the picture anymore. This bar stool ain't working, but if anything can, it'll be me on a dock pushing off of dry land. I need a lake, a little bit of bait. I'd even take a creek. I'm tired of all these concrete streets we were running down. Yeah, what I need right now is some riding and some reeling, first catch feeling, praying to the man for some muddy water healing. Don't need no sad song on my radio, burning up some black smoke down a back road. I need a boat. So here's my question for us this morning. What would the preacher in Ecclesiastes say about this song? What would he think about it? Would he say, that's terrible? Uh, Would he say, I feel your pain? Uh, Would he say, well, you're, you're kind of on the right path there? What would he say? How would he react to this song? And that's what we're going to think about this morning uh, as we look at this passage from Ecclesiastes. So, it's a little bit long, so hang with me. Ecclesiastes 1, starting in verse 12, and we'll go through chapter 2, verse 26. This is God's Word. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king, only what has already been done? Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so wise?" And I said in my heart that this also is vanity, for of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool yet he will be master of all for which i toiled and used my wisdom under the sun this also is vanity so i turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it this also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his works work is a vexation, even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person then than that he should eat and drink, and find enjoyment in his toil this also I say is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after win. Let me pray for us. Father, we are glad to be able to be here. We're glad to be able to open your word this morning. Uh, Would you pray? Please help me to to communicate it clearly. Would you open our hearts uh, to hear it? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you're new to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a bit of a depressing book. Uh, Zach Wine has said that Ecclesiastes sounds like a crazed man downtown. He smells like he hasn't bathed, looks like it too. And as we pass by, he won't stop glaring at us and beckoning to us that all our lives are built on illusions and that we are all going to die. Now, I can affirm that I just preached through Ecclesiastes and I felt like every week one of my sub points was you're all going to die. And so my congregation loved me for that. But, you know, if if you're an Enneagram seven, if you know what that is, you really need this book. You should go read this book. It might be a bit overwhelming to you though. If you're Enneagram 4, this, this book will definitely be your cup of tea. Uh, and if you don't know what the Enneagram is, don't worry about it. Your life is meaningless anyway. <laughs> so, um, Ecclesiastes, though, for, for all its strangeness, can be a bit helpful to It's very helpful to us. Herman Melville once said, it's the truest of all books. It's the truest of all books. Uh, I think it's helpful for skeptical people It's helpful if you're tired of religious people giving you simplistic answers to the difficulties of life. Uh, It's a helpful book for people who have tried everything and you still haven't found it. You feel like something is still missing. Uh, Verse 12 tells us that Ecclesiastes comes to us through someone known as the preacher. Uh, The word translated preacher is Kohelet. And while we aren't certain, this person could very well be King Solomon, but we don't know that for sure. But Kohelet, whoever he is, the preacher as we will call him, is someone who has lived life. They are someone who has tried to suck the goody out of life, and they have reached some conclusions about life that they want to share with us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the preacher's thesis, we're going to look at his test case's And then we're going to look at his conclusions. And when we get to the end of all that, we're going to try to answer the question do I really need a boat? All right. So that's where we're going. First of all, the preacher's thesis. Uh, In in verse three of chapter one, which we didn't read, the preacher asks, What does man gain by all the toil with which he toils under the sun? Verse 14 I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, All is vanity and a striving after wind. The Hebrew word that's translated vanity there is literally the word hebel. And hebel carries this idea that something is fleeting, that something is senseless, that something lacks purpose. But it literally means breath. Life is breath. You you can't ever grasp it. You can spend years chasing after meaning chasing after significance, and it's like trying to catch the wind. And at the end, what do you have to show for it? What have you gained? The preacher's answer is nothing. You don't have anything to show for it. There is nothing to be gained under the sun, he says. Everything is vanity and a striving after wind. Uh, Believe me, he says to us, I have tried to find it. I have looked everywhere. Verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now, the preacher gets that we may have a hard time buying that. We hear that, we're like, ah, okay, maybe that's, I'll find it. So what he does for us is he says, let me, let me open up my diary for you and show you some of the places where I've tried to find it, where I've tried to find satisfaction, where I've tried to find joy and meaning, which brings us to the preacher's test cases. Uh, the, the preacher looked for satisfaction in a lot of areas, but I think we can group them in the three big areas. He looked for satisfaction in pleasure, in wisdom, and in work. And he says at the end of that, they're all vanity. But let's, let's walk through them First of all, pleasure, and some of these I'll read again, some of them I'll just summarize. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? Uh, the first thing, the, uh, of the first form of pleasure that the preacher tries to, to chase is Laughter. He binge watched Seinfeld and The Office and Community and all of the stand up comedy specials that you love on Netflix. He, he did all of those. He hung out with his friends. They told or, old stories together. They quoted lines together from old movies. But something was still missing. Laughter didn't do it. Verse three, he says, he tried cheering his heart with wine. Now, this really is every country song. Uh, Darius Rucker, the only thing I need is beers and sunshine. Luke Combs, long neck, ice cold beer never broke my heart like diamond rings and football teams have torn this boy apart. (laughs) Hank Williams Jr., who I know you were all there in Simpsonville to see him last night. Um, I was on the front row. But anyway, you don't know whether I'm serious or not, so that's fun. Um, (laughs) He sings, they always ask me, Hank... Why do you drink? And the crowd responds, "You probably shouldn't now." But the crowd responds to get drunk. All right, that's that's the chorus at every Hank concert. The Beastie Boys to go really old school and not country said, "I have to fight for my right to party." All right, we that's how we look at alcohol. Right, we look we look at it to have fun. We look at it to to loosen up. We look to it to have a good time, to escape, to forget. And the images that that's just part of what. The good life is. But the truth of the matter is closer to the first few lines of I need a boat. The whiskey sure tastes fine right now, but it ain't doing the trick. Or Merle Haggard, here I am again mixing misery and gin, sitting with all my friends and talking to myself. I look like I'm having a good time, but any fool can tell that this honky-tonk heaven really makes you feel like hell. And so the preacher says, I I tried that too. I tried alcohol. It didn't fix it. So he goes on and he builds things, verses four through six, houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, fruit trees, pools, The preacher said, Look, I had multiple houses. They were immaculately landscaped. I had the outdoor kitchen. I had the the TV on the porch. I had the, the big green egg thing. I had steps down to the garden. I had the best fire pit with the lights hanging over it in the neighborhood. I had the pool. I was HGTV. And it didn't fix it. It didn't fix it. Verse seven, he says he had slaves, he had servants running everywhere. He didn't have to wash the clothes. Or do the dishes or fix the food. He had, he had people for that. Uh, verse 7, he had great possessions of herds and flocks. Uh, his wife kept bugging him for, for, a, for a third dog. And so he said, oh, we'll have 20. He owned all kind of pets. He, he had more land and bison than Ted Turner. He, he did that. Verse 8, he gathered silver and gold and treasure Uh, He invested in Bitcoin at the right time, and he he got out at the right time. Uh, Verse 8, he had singers, the Avid brothers, Kendrick Lamar, whoever. They came and they did a concert on his front lawn. He had somebody there every night singing. Verse 8 again, concubines. He had all the sex that he could ever desire. Verses 9 and 10, uh, let let me read these. Verses 9 and 10. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. I had every pleasure. Everything that we could think of. Everything that we think of and we say, if I just had that... Or if I just had more of that, then life would be okay. And the preacher said, "Yeah, I've, I've tried that." Uh, verse eleven. I'll read this also. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. No satisfaction, no gain. None of it did for him what he thought it was going to do. Uh, Matt Howell was RUF campus minister at App State after me and then at UT Knoxville. And he said when he was at UT Knoxville, the, the, the common refrain he heard from students who had spent four years chasing the, the college version of the good life was empty. Empty. I've chased it all and I just feel so empty. It's all vanity. John, Jean LaRue used to, used to talk about living in Mississippi and seeing uh, people going down to New Orleans from Mardi Gras and how excited and happy they looked on the way down <clears throat> and how exhausted and spent they look on the way back home. It's all vanity. Kenny Chesney, this is in your bulletin, <coughs> said, one is one too many. One more is never enough. Now, he's talking about tequila and nights with his lover, but it really could have been anything on Solomon's list here, right? One more is never enough. The last time I was at my parents' house, actually the last two times I was at my parents' house, my mom made homemade blueberry crisp, which is just, it's just amazing, And I don't know about you, but when I eat dessert, I'll start off really fast, because it's so good, and then I get about halfway done, I'm like, I don't have much left, and I want to enjoy this, so I start eating it slower and slower, and I like start cutting in smaller and smaller bites, trying to make it last. And then I I finally finish, I'm like, well, I I should just go get some more. And so I I go back, and I'm like, well, I I shouldn't get a whole piece, I'll just get half a piece. And so I get half a piece, and I eat that, and then I think, well, no one else is going to eat half a piece, so I should go back and get this half a piece as well, and just finish it. Because one more is never enough. It just never does it. Pleasure doesn't do it. And so the preacher says, okay, I'm going to try living wisely, living wisely. Look in verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. The preacher tried living wisely, and he tried acting up like a fool. And he concludes, yes, wisdom is actually the better path. Everything that Proverbs says about the wise life, that is actually good. It is a better path. Planning your day, that's a good thing to do. Exercising, making it to CrossFit, closing all the rings on your Apple Watch, having a calendar and a to-do list, setting life goals having a strategic plan, meeting with a counselor, taking time for self-care, learning and studying and growing, gaining knowledge, the preacher says, all those are good things. It's wise to live that way. So if you're doing those things, then that's great. I'm, I'm glad you're doing that, the preacher says. But here's the thing. Both the wise person and the fool are going to die. So what's the point, he asks, in trying to be so wise? Why not just act a fool? All is vanity and striving after the wind. Well, he's tried pleasure. He's tried wisdom. Surely work is going to do it for him, right? Surely finding the right job will satisfy us. Don't we study and take out loans and take personality test and shadow employers and take the needs of the world into account and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do that's going to fulfill us for the course of our career, surely our jobs will satisfy us. Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all over which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. I'm going to work 40, 50 years and then someone else is going to inherit it all. And who knows, the preacher says, what they're going to do with it. I could build the most successful business in all of South Carolina, and the next guy could wreck the whole thing in a couple of months. Uh, we were in Boone for a time. I did campus ministry at App State, and we always loved taking our kids to Tweetsie Railroad up there. Those of you who have journeyed up to Boone for Tweetsie, yet, well, when we were there, Tweetsie actually almost closed, and here's why. Over the years, as the owners died off and as the people that came after them inherited it, that land was split up into a lot of different parcels, and they were having a hard time agreeing about what to do with the land. Do we sell off our parcel? Do we keep bringing us the Tweetsie? What are we going to do? You have no control over what happens after you're gone. You, You just can't control it. And even while you and I work, the most satisfying careers will leave you with sleepless nights and tension headaches and high blood pressure. It's just the way it is. But we work and we work and then we make it to the top. And what do we find there? Deion Sanders, former NFL and Major League Baseball player, he's the only player to play in a World Series and the Super Bowl. He says that after he won his first Super Bowl, he was the first person on the bus to go back to the hotel and the first person to sleep that night because he said he won it and it just wasn't as fulfilling as he thought it was going to be. He said he, he had all the money, all the sex that he wanted, and it was all just empty. Eventually, he tried to kill himself by driving his car off a cliff. Kevin Durant, NBA's, won at least two world championships. He was once asked why he was playing so angry and getting so many technical fouls and ejections. And he said, it's just my emotions and passions for the game. After winning that championship, I learned that much hadn't changed. I thought it would fill a certain void, and it didn't. Now, you may say, well, those are just professional athletes. What do they know? Um, how about Arthur Brooks? This, is, this quote's in your bulletin. You might want to find it. It's a little longer. He's a professor at Harvard, and he hosts the podcast, How to Build a Happy Life. So, it's his credentials. And here's what he said. Yet time and again, I have fallen into the trap of believing that success and its accompaniments would fulfill me. On my 40th birthday, I made a bucket list of things I hoped to do or achieve. They were mainly accomplishments only a walk could want. Writing books and columns about serious subjects, teaching at a top school, traveling to give lectures and speeches, maybe even leading a university or think tank. Whether these were good and noble goals or not, they were my goals, and I imagined that if I hit them, I would be satisfied. I found that list nine years ago when I was 48 and realized that I had achieved every item on it. I had been a tenured professor, then the president of a think tank I was giving frequent speeches, had written some books that had sold well, and was writing columns for the New York Times. But none of that had brought me the lasting joy I'd envisioned. Each accomplishment thrilled me for a day or a week, maybe a month, never more. And then I reached for the next rung on the ladder. I devoted my life to climbing those rungs. I was still devoting my life to climbing beavering away 60 to 80 hours a week to accomplish the next thing all the while terrified of losing the last thing you've probably heard the quotes been attributed to different people i wish somebody had told me that when you get to the top there's nothing there there's nothing there work is also vanity all right let's leave um I'll let Tim fix this. Um, so, so what's the what's the preacher's conclusion? What does he conclude from all this? Verse seventeen, he says that he hated life. Verse twenty, he gave his heart up to despair. So, is that what he wants us to do? Does he want us to just give up to despair? Does he want us to be like Boris Becker, who was asked at one time after he won Wimbledon, what was next for him? What was his greatest challenge? going to be. And he said, it's finding a reason not to kill myself. Does the preacher want us to go that route? Does he want us to just give up or does he want us to just ignore this all and eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. You only go around once. You better take advantage of it. Well, verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment for the one who pleases him God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God this also is vanity and a striving after win. now there's two things i want you to see in this these two verses that i think will help us make some sense of all this. One is in verse 24. Do you see who shows up for the first time in verse 24? God shows up. It's the first time he's mentioned in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And throughout the rest of this book, the preacher will continue to tell us that life under the sun is indeed vanity. But every once in a while, he's going to give us a hint. Every once in a while, the preacher is going to give us a hint. And he's saying, If there is no meaning to be found under the sun, maybe we should look above the sun. Maybe we should start looking somewhere else. Maybe for the pieces to start fitting together, we need to see a bigger picture. Maybe nothing in creation can fill us because it was never intended to fill us. Maybe there is someone else we need to take into account. That's thing one. Here's thing two. The preacher encourages us to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in our toil. This he says is a gift from God. This he says is a gift from God. And here's the key. And I and I think this is the key to the whole book of Ecclesiastes. The preacher wants you to understand that life in the world is not about gain. It's about gift. Life in this world is not about gain. It's about gift. In other words, work and pleasure and wisdom are not things that we pursue in order to find gain, in order to find satisfaction, in order to fill ourselves. But work and pleasure and wisdom are gifts given to us by the hand of God and, to be enjoy, and are to be enjoyed as such. If you can quit chasing gain and receive all things as gift, it'll completely transform your life. Let me illustrate this. So I'm an Auburn grad, big Auburn fan. Uh, I enjoyed, oh my goodness, there's one everywhere. <laughs> you two can link, you know, if you go out? Let me me illustrate it anyway. Um, I I enjoyed basketball season much more than football season. But this weird thing started happening at Auburn basketball games. People started wearing shirts with peacocks on them. And the students were bringing cardboard peacocks on sticks and bringing them to the games and waving them around. And one of the players who hadn't been there, you know, everybody's only there one year now. But one of the players is like, I'm really kind of confused about what the mascot is. Which is understandable, you know, are we Tigers, are we War Eagles, are we, are we now Peacocks? Like, what is going on with that? Well, the Peacock thing was started by a guy on an Auburn sports podcast, and, and this is what he wrote. He said, a lot of Auburn fans kind of have this complex, like Lucy's going to pull the football out from Charlie Brown at some point. Instead, Auburn fans need to walk around like Peacocks, and we just need to be Peacocking this season. It's the attitude of a fan, of a great team, having that expectation of wins and knowing that it's fun when you win and it's fun to act like we're going to win. Even if we do lose, I would rather have been positive about the experience than win and have spent that entire season expecting Lucy to pull the football. Now... That was funny to me because, you know, I've seen Auburn lose a national championship with 13 seconds left. I've seen a controversial ending in a Final Four game. And and I'd actually made my mind up early in the basketball season. It's like, you know what? I am just going to try to enjoy the ride. I'm going going to stop putting everything on us having to win this all and just enjoy the gift of a really good team. And it's a good thing I did that. But... um, And I think it was probably because I had been reading Ecclesiastes. And, and do you see the difference there? Instead instead of demanding gain, we must win it all or this season is going to be pointless. All right, some of you can apply this to football season next year. We must win it all or it's going to be pointless. Instead, I'm going to peacock. I'm simply going to try to enjoy this season as a gift. As a gift. And quit putting so much weight on whether we win it all or not. Now, that's just sports, right? It's just sports. Imagine if you looked at your marriage like that. Imagine if you looked at your marriage like that. Instead of demanding that you have the perfect spouse who perfectly completes you, you simply learn to receive them as a gift from the hand of God imagine if you started looking at work like that instead of demanding that this job absolutely has to fulfill me you started looking at work as a gift from the hand of God I get to go and and, and serve coffee today I get to go and fix somebody's computer network today I get to mend a broken bone I get to help someone die with dignity I get to teach someone a new language I get to unclog a stopped up drain imagine if we looked at food like that instead of this being the best piece of blueberry pie just having to be the best piece of blueberry pie I've ever had in my life and I must keep eating it until I am perfectly fulfilled it's a gift and it's gonna last a few minutes And then it's going to be gone, but that's okay. It was never meant to satisfy me fully. What if eating, as Wendell Berry put it, was a way of experiencing and celebrating our dependence and our gratitude? What if we quit trying to find the perfect eating out experience all the time and simply receive food as a gift? What if you quit demanding that, you fill in the blank now, Whatever it is, what if you quit demanding that that thing, that person, fulfill you and looked at that simply as a gift from the hand of God? It might actually bring you the joy you've been working so hard to gain. And it might lead you also to contemplate the goodness of the one who gave you the gift. Verse 26, I think the sinner in verse 26 is someone who continues to look to work and pleasure and wisdom, demanding that they complete him, demanding that they fulfill him, demanding that they satisfy him. In the words of Romans 1, it's someone who worships the gifts themselves instead of the giver of the gifts. And so they are stuck in futility. But to the one who pleases him... To the righteous person, to the one who has looked beyond the gift and looked actually to the giver of the gift, that person can now actually fully enjoy the gifts for what they're meant to be. See, we think the problem is we don't have the right gift or enough of the right gift, when the real problem at the heart of everything is that we haven't met the giver of the gifts. We don't know the giver of the gifts How can you know the giver of the gifts? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Knowing God comes by receiving a gift. It comes by receiving Jesus and resting in him alone. Well, let me wrap up the question you've all been wondering about. What would our preacher say about Morgan Wallen and his song need a boat. I think he would say, "Morgan, you're starting to figure it out. You figured out that whiskey isn't going to fix it, and that's good. And you seem like you genu- genuinely enjoy boats and water, and that's actually a good thing as well. But don't stop with a boat, and don't think that the boat is going." to fix it. But allow that goodness of a day on the water in a boat to lead you back to the one who gave you that day on the water in a boat. Let the gift lead you back to the giver and ask, how can I know him? How can I know him? Let me pray for us. Father, we're all in this same boat, so to speak. We are all looking for satisfaction in things that ultimately won't satisfy us. Would you help us to quit looking to these things for gain and instead receive them as gifts to be enjoyed? Help us receive them as gifts and in receiving them as gifts, cause our minds to turn to the giver of the gifts. And to ask, how can I really know him and how can I really rest in him? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.